we are continuing our series tonight, Questions That God Asks. Uh, and from the story that we've read tonight, in Exodus 3 and 4, really three principles emerge that I want to unpack with you and work our way through. The first principle is this. God cares about justice. The second principle is this. God made us for good work and God saved us for good work. And the third is that God equips and empowers us for this good work. First, God cares about justice. Our passage begins tonight with God coming to Moses and speaking to him out of a burning bush. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them up out of the hand of the Egyptians. I want you to note a few things. First, God sees. God sees. God sees the woman chained to a bed in Thailand, forced to work as a sex slave. God sees the six-year-old in India who is forced to work 15 hours a day rolling cigarettes. God sees the African-American male detained by the police and then dying in police custody. God sees. But second, God hears. God Here's the cry of a Syrian mother holding her lifeless child, the victim of a gas attack. God hears the cries of a farmer who can't feed his family, let alone his village, because of global climate change. God hears the cries of the heroin addict on my street who wants to get clean but can't. God hears. Thirdly, God knows. God knows. He's not blind. He's not deaf. He's not dumb. God is not ignorant. And he is not indifferent. Because fourthly, God acts. God comes down. He comes down here in Exodus 3 and 4 to fight oppression. And then thousands of years, thousands of years later, he literally comes down in the person of Jesus Christ. Our God is not a God who stands on the sidelines and watches his team take a beating. Our God is the kind of God who throws on a jersey and he throws himself into the thray. God sees. God hears. God knows. And God acts. Right? He fights injustice. But you might be asking yourself, how? How does God fight injustice? And the answer to that question can be found in verses 3 9 and 10. Behold, I've heard the cries, I've seen their oppression. Now come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Okay, look, God fights injustice, but very rarely does he do this work alone. More often than not, God works through his image bearers who are here on this earth. And it's not just through people like Moses or Mother Teresa, right? These larger-than-life figures. God works in and through the lives of ordinary human beings like you and me. Do you realize that God comes down every time? He comes down to deliver every time that he pours his spirit upon someone and they become a Christian. 
God comes down to deliver every single time he pours his spirit upon someone and indwells that, that life. Not just in the lives of those who make the history books. God has come down to deliver in and through the lives and the ministries of Christians like Grace Colbert, like Flora DeWar, like Matthew Ryan, Jenna Alessandro, Alan Lynn, and Rebecca Ryan. Look, if you are a Christian today, God has come down to deliver in and through you. And this brings us to our second point. God made us for a good work, and God saved us for a good work. God made us for a good work, and God saved us for a good work. You know, the Bible says that in the beginning, God made a good and beautiful world. Out of nothing, God created something. Out of chaos, he brought order. God created spaces, and then he filled those spaces. Stars and planets to rule over the day and the night. Fish and birds to rule over the sea and the sky. And land animals to fill the earth. And after each and every day of creation, he declares it is good. It's good. It is good. Seven times it's good. And everything is in its right place. Everything is doing what it was designed to do. Everything good. Everything all right. Here's how this connects. In Hebrew, the word that gets translated righteousness or all rightness is the same word for justice. It's the exact same word. Justice and righteousness. All rightness. And what this means is that God made an all right and just world. That's the kind of world he made. A world with no war. No hunger, no poverty, no homelessness, no racism, no sexism, no abuse, no addiction. You all get the picture. What I'm describing is the, the way things are supposed to be. And the Hebrew word for that is a word called shalom. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It's not just us not fighting with each other. It's more than that. Shalom is the overwhelming presence of joy. It's a world full of love and laughter. It's a land of milk and honey, a world of abundance, flourishing, and delight. And this is the kind of world that God made. This is the kind of world that God wants. Shalom, justice, all rightness, it's what God is after. You know, when Megan, my wife, and I bought our house on Green Street, we had inherited a muddy backyard. It was, you could say, formless and void. Right? Well, needless to say, we didn't want formless and void. Right? We wanted a patio and a lawn, a place where we could have barbecues and movie nights and a kiddie pool for Willa to splash in, a place of love and laughter, a place of abundance and good food, in a place of beauty where new life can take root and grow. We wanted a green backyard. 
Well, what we want for our backyard is not all that different from what God wants from this world. Right? Out of a muddy mess, God made a garden. And here's what he does next. In Genesis 2, the Bible says that God placed us in the middle of the garden to work it and to keep it and to help it to grow. He puts us, human beings, in the middle of that garden to water it in the same way that I might put a sprinkler system in the middle of my yard to water it and to keep it and to help it to grow. God made us for this good work. The problem is, is we got disconnected from God. We turned our backs on him. God's life and love was meant to flow into us and then flow out of us, just like water is meant to flow into a sprinkler and then out to water the earth. But we got unplugged. And consequently, we dry up and die. And what happens to everything around us? Well, it dries up and dies too. And look, you can just look out the world out there and you know, right? It's not the way it's supposed to be. Things are drying up and dying. We are drying up and dying, right? But guess what? Even though that's the current state of affairs, God still wants a green yard. He still wants one. God still wants shalom. And the way that God is going to get what he wants is not by bypassing the sprinkler system. The way that God is going to get a green yard again is by reconnecting what got disconnected. By taking what was unplugged and then hooking it back up again. And to be very clear, what I'm talking about is by finding us, human beings who have rejected him, who have gotten disconnected from him, and saying, let's get connected again. Let's be reconciled. Water flowing into us and then out of us again, right? Love and grace and goodness flowing into us and then flowing out of us again. Hooking us back up. God made us for this work. God saved us. For this work. And it's important you pay attention to this order of things. The Bible does not teach that we are saved because of our good works, but we are saved in order to do good works. We are not saved because of our good works, we're saved in order that we could do good works again. This sets Christianity apart from just about every other world religion. Right? Nearly every other world religion essentially teaches that salvation is the reward for doing good. You do good, you get saved. And Christianity teaches the exact opposite. The completely opposite thing. It says you are not doing good. You are not doing good. You are disconnected. You are dead and everything around you dying. God saved you then, not because you were doing good, because you weren't. God saved you in order that you could do good again. God, good works, watering the garden, it is the purpose of your salvation and not the basis for it. It is the purpose of your salvation, not the basis for it. Well, let's return to our passage tonight. Right? God who cares about justice and who fights for justice and who wants to employ you and enlist you in that same fight too to get you connected. Right? Well, he finds Moses and he gets him connected and he gives him a mission. He says, liberate the oppressed, free the enslaved, comfort the afflicted, be a force of justice in this world, Moses. 
And this is exciting work, and it is rewarding work. It's work that we were made for, but it's also a little bit scary, or a lot scary, because Moses hems and he haws. In Exodus 3 and 4, he gives a bunch of excuses as to why he's not cut out for this work. The first excuse can be found in Exodus 3.11. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I? I, I'm a nobody. I'm just a small town kid from a small town. Or just a small town kid from like a, yeah, whatever. You get the point. (laughs) From a small town. I'm redundant. Look, Moses says, like, I haven't been eloquent, either like in the past or in the present, right? Like, it's... But seriously, like, I'm a nobody. You want me to be a force of justice in this world? I'm just a college student. I'm just a college student. I'm just a kid from New Hampshire. I'm just the kid sister. I'm just the baby brother. Who am I? Who am I to do this kind of work? Excuse number two, I don't know enough about God. I don't, I'm not really theologically astute. Look at verse 3, 13. When they ask who sent me, what do I tell them? I mean, I don't, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know your name. Uh, why me? Um, I'm brand new to Christianity. Uh, I don't know what's in the Bible. This is my first time coming to RUF. The third excuse. Nobody's going to take me seriously. But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. They're going to laugh at me. They're going to think I'm stupid. And I say, who do you think you are? What a fraud. Moses' fourth excuse, I'm not eloquent, but slow of speech and tongue. I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm simply not enough. And fifthly and finally, Moses says, look, can you just get somebody else? Oh, Lord, please send somebody else. Anybody but me. It's in the midst of all of these excuses, smack dab in the middle of all of these excuses, that we hear this question that God asks. God asks, what is that in your hand? What do you got in your hand? This? Uh, staff. That's enough. The passage ends with God saying, okay then, if you've got your staff, you've got all that you need to do, what I need you to do. That's how this passage ends. As one writer points out, this question that God asks is aimed at helping Moses and us recognize that he had and we have all of the resources we need right now to fulfill God's calling. We have all the resources in our hands right this minute to do what God is asking us to do. He says, and I quote this author, When we make available to God whatever we are holding in our hands, we will always be astounded by what God can do with it. It doesn't matter if that is a staff or a lunch of five loaves and two fish or a high school degree. When we make available to God whatever we are holding in our hands, we will always be astounded by what God can do with it. And we sometimes like to think 
okay, when I get this and when I accomplish that, then I'll be ready to do God's work in the world. Then I'll be ready to do it. But God is challenging you tonight saying, that's not true. What do you got in your hand? What are you holding right now? Not tomorrow, today. You have all you need to be a force of justice in the world today. And that brings us to our third and final point. God equips us and he empowers us to do what he asks us to do. God equips us and he empowers us to do what what he asks us to do. In the book of Hebrews, which is in the New Testament, it's written that God will equip you with all you need for doing his will. He will produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. I don't know who first said it, but it's true. God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. Okay, God does not call the equipped, right? He equips the called. You know, we can think of uh, five excuses as to why we should not be a force, in the, uh, a force of justice in the world today. But here are five ways. Here are five ways that God has equipped you to be and to do just that. Okay, first... God has given you the gift of your personality. God has given you the gift of your personality. Some of you in this room are introverted. Some of you are extroverted. Some of you are intuitive and like to operate in the realm of ideas. And some of you are more concrete and practical and want to figure out how are we going to get that done. Some of you are thinkers and some of you are feelers. Some of you, it takes a really long time to make a decision, and others are like, boom, I know exactly what I'm going to do tonight. Right? You know, according, um, well, in this room we have all kinds of personality types, don't we? And according to the Myers-Briggs testing tool, there are 16 different types of personalities. Right? There are people who are charismatic leaders and those who are excellent at managing things behind the scenes. Those who are artistic and imaginative, those who are more measured and practical. The point is this, there's not one right personality type. It's not like there's one right one and 15 wrong ones, right? All 16 are good. All 16 are important. There's not one right personality type any more than there is one right body part, right? They're all good. They're all important. They all have a part to play. And understanding your personality, the ways that God has hardwired you, is one of the ways that God has equipped you to do his work in the world. It's an important part of your equipping, and it is an important part of your calling. A second way that God has equipped you is through your education. Not just here at UVM, but the education you've received up to this point. Right, in this room, there are a bunch of people studying a bunch of different things. We have nurses and engineers, teachers, social workers, entrepreneurs, philosophers, right, and more. You are all learning different things and acquiring different skills. You all have and are acquiring more and more tools for the work, or if you like, weapons for the fight out there. And granted, we don't all work in the same place or fight on the same front, but we are all called to do the same thing, as it were. 
to go to places of hurt and bring healing, places of darkness and bring light, places of chaos and bring order, places of oppression and bring freedom, and some to bring justice wherever it is that God is sending you to make wrong things right. A third way right, that God has equipped you is your experience. This includes, but is not limited to, your internship this summer, right, the job you had at camp. Right, that's part of your experience. <laughs> but it's more than that. Right, God's equipping extends to things like where you were born, where you went to school, what family you grew up in, etc. For example... Right? Moses was born to a Hebrew woman, but because he was born to a Hebrew woman, he was going to be killed. Right? The Egyptians were going around and killing all, ba- all, all men, right? all the baby boys. And so his mother put him in a basket and she sent him down the Nile. Well, lo and behold, he was picked up by a daughter of Pharaoh. And consequently, he, right, a Hebrew, was raised in an Egyptian family. And not any Egyptian family. He was raised as Egyptian royalty, learning its language and its customs, etc. And it's on the basis of this experience that he had that he was well-equipped to go to Pharaoh and say to him, look, you need to let my people go. He knew how to talk to Pharaoh. He had access to those courts because of his experience. And what are some of the things that you have experienced? You know, how might God use that experience that you've had your whole life, right, everything leading up to this point, to equip you and to empower you to do good work in the world? It's not all good things. And Moses' story shows that, right? I know some of you have been abused. I know some of you uh, struggle with addiction. But because of these experiences, listen, you have the ability to talk to others who've been abused and to walk with others who struggle with addiction in ways that other people can't. You have the ability to come alongside people who hurt with the same hurt that you've experienced and to lead them out of it. Your experience is an important part of your calling, an important part of the way that God has equipped you to do good work in the world. Personality, education, experience, a fourth way God has equipped you for good work in the world is passion. You might be good at something, but being good at something and loving something are not the same thing. Right? You could be great at math, but that doesn't mean you necessarily should be an accountant. Right? We all get this. Right? Maybe, but maybe not. What do you love? You know, what do you love to do? What brings you joy? There's a pastor in Vermont named Frederick Buechner. Here's what he says. The kind of work God usually calls you to is the kind of work, A, that you need most to do, and B, that the world most needs to have done. The place God calls you is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. The place where God calls you is the place where your great gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. That intersection is the sweet spot. Your passions, what revs you up, what gets you excited, that's not an accident. It's not an accident. God has given you that passion. 
It's part of the way that He's equipped you. Finally, God has given you friends. In the Lord of the Rings, there is this war between good and evil. If you've read the books or you've seen the movies, you might know that the heroes of that trilogy are not the ones you might expect. They are little people, overlooked people, humble people, hobbits, dwarves, and elves. Some go, in the story, they are all gathered together before they are sent out to various different fronts of a war. Some of them go to, to Mordor, some of them go to this place called Gondor, some of them go to this place called Helm's Deep. I know I sound like a total geek, right? <laughs> but bear with me, okay? Before they go to these various different places, okay? They meet in this one place called Rivendell. It's a place that reminds me a lot of the University of Vermont. Rivendell. Because at Rivendell, they are given tools and weapons for the fight. Sword, medicine, mana, whatever, right? They leave with these tools just as much as you will leave with a college degree, with a major. But that's not all you're going to leave with. They leave with a bunch of friends. They leave with a fellowship of the ring. And this is part, this is a critical part of their equipping, without which they will never succeed. This is part of your equipping here at the University of Vermont. UVM is a place where you will find a major, you will acquire some skills, you will get some tools for the fight, but it is also a place where you will discover your fellowship of the ring. God cares about justice. And because you are made in God's image, you are made to care about justice too and to fight for it. God made you for this good work and he has saved you for this good work. And finally, God has given you all that you need to do good work in the world right now. Not simply when I graduate. That work can begin right now. So what do you got? And what's that in your hand? What do you have right now that God wants to use to make this world a better place? Let's pray.